0: Amen indeed, by grace alone are we saved, by grace alone are we sustained, by grace alone will we make it to the end. We are continuing in our series we call Life Together. This is a series that uh, is going to take us through November as we are working through approximately 10 one another passages in the New Testament. Today we are going to be looking at what it means to be at peace with one another, be at peace with one another. We have a passage that, um, really, two passages we'll be primarily looking at, many, many passages we'll be referring to today, but two that refer specifically to this. A call to be at peace with each other, one found in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, and then we'll also be looking at Romans 12, verses 14 through 18, uh, where Paul re emphasizes that call to be at peace with each other. Uh, as we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we ask now for your help, for your illumination as we understand, Lord, not just for knowledge's sake, but as we seek to understand your word for our lives. We pray for your help in Christ's name, amen. Well, you know, as people today in our culture, we like a good fight. We've even made a professional sport out of it, for all of you UFC fans. Or whether it's a couple of football teams getting in a scuffle before or during the game, or politicians verbally sparring with each other we have to be honest most of people today most people today like to see a good fight and sadly the church hasn't been immune from such fighting i was reading this past week about a church back in april a church in memphis tennessee that made the news when two ladies started a brawl over a man they both liked that's how we do it in Tennessee. We even, you know, don't mess with my man. Those ladies in Tennessee, they take it serious. I mean, a brawl at church over, over okay, these were adult ladies. These were not, these were not young, younger ladies. So the church, you think about extremes, but the church is certainly not immune to fighting and conflict. Fighting and conflict is a sad reality in the world in which we live. And you can see it on many different extremes, whether it's war, persecution, condemnation, strife, contention, controversy. All of these things exist in our lives in some fashion, in some shape. And the one thing that all of them have in common, war, persecution, temptation, condemnation, strife, contention, controversy, fighting, conflict, the one thing they all have in common is the absence of peace. And that is indeed the reality in the world in which we live. We encounter a world that's filled with such things, and we often find ourselves caught up in the midst of these experiences. Probably in some way this past week, you encountered a conflict. Maybe it was massive, maybe it was more subtle or minor in nature, but you probably encountered or involved indirectly or indirectly uh, some kind of conflict, some kind of fight. We know how easy it can be to be confronted with issues of strife and conflict and opposition and controversy, but as Christians, in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of those conflicts... The Lord calls us as His people to be at peace with one another. The only place, the the one place that war and persecution and condemnation and strife, contention and controversy should be absent is within the family of God. And yet we often see how we, in general, as a people of God, are not immune to such fighting. The Bible calls us to be at peace with one another. In Mark's Gospel in chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus says that very thing to his disciples. He says, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. Romans chapter 12, we've been looking at Romans 12. There are several one another texts in this chapter alone. But in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14, Paul says to the church at Rome, to the Christians there at Rome, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then listen to verse 18. If possible... If possible, as so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. When you consider the one another text and when you consider the call, and we're going to look at other texts that deal with this call to be at peace with each other, when you consider this, there are several observations I have before we get into the, the outline of the sermon. First of all, Jesus expects his people to be at peace with one another. We're going to talk about why that's such a big deal in just a moment. He expects his people, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, to not just get along, but be at peace, to pursue peace with one another. It's the expectation, not a suggestion. And then in Romans 12, he says, And by the way, through the Apostle Paul, by the way... As So so far as it depends on you, expand that to all people, even non-Christians. You are to pursue peace with all men, even those who persecute you. As we consider this call to be at peace with each other, we're going to consider several things. First, we're going to consider the motive that encourages pursuing peace. We're going to consider the way of pursuing peace and we're going to look at the effect of pursuing peace. The motive that encourages it, the way that we ought to pursue it, and the effect of it when we do properly pursue it. Let's look first of all at the motive of pursuing peace. Why would we be peacemakers? Sometimes conflicts have grown so big and so difficult and they've lasted for so long that either peace seems impossible or we have lost a desire to pursue it altogether. But is that how we are to think of our relationships, even in the hardest of relationships? Obviously there will be moments when you feel weighed down by conflict, And the thought of working for peace seems so pointless and so exhausting that why even try? But friends, no matter how you feel, no matter how far things have progressed, God's word is no less true. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers." They shall be called sons of God." Mark 9:50, "Be at peace with one another." Paul in First Thessalonians 5:13. "Be at peace among yourselves." Peter, in Second Peter 3:14, said, "Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him, without spot or blemish, and at peace." So that's Jesus, that's Paul, that's Peter. We see this as a common theme throughout the entire New Testament, this call for us, no matter how hard it is, no matter what we feel like pursuing, we are called to be a people of peace and a people who pursue peace. So why? Why does Jesus call us to this? Well, I could give you many reasons, let me give you a couple. First and foremost, pursuing peace with other people is a reflection of God's character. God is a God of peace. It's something that flows out of his nature and character. If you go back to the Old Testament in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, there at the call of Gideon. After Gideon is called there in Judges 6, it says, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. It is his character it is in his nature in romans 15:13 and chapter 16 it's sort of in paul's final greetings and instruction there at the end of romans he says may the god of peace may the god of peace be with you all and then later he says the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet again in matthew 5 verse 9 the beatitudes blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god Peacemakers reflect their father and his character. We should desire to pursue peace because it's in the very nature and character of God himself. He is a God of peace. Two, a second motive is that it reflects our salvation. Reflects our salvation. Because God is a God of peace, he pursues peace with you and with me that implies by the way that there was at some point or another no peace between us and God if God is pursuing peace with us that means there was a time there was a situation something was was causing a gap to be present where we weren't at peace with him and the Bible says that the problem was that Left to ourselves, we are God's enemy. Now, maybe you've never thought of yourself in those terms before. Maybe you've never thought of yourself pre-conversion as truly an enemy of God, but that's exactly what the Bible, how the Bible describes us. We were an enemy. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God, To God by the death of his son. We were enemies. In fact, I read earlier in Colossians, verse, or chapter one, verse 19, it says, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen to verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, because of our sin, we by nature are separated from God. We are at enmity with God. We are his enemies. However, God was not content to leave us as his enemy. Out of love, he chose to not only plan a means of reconciliation, he chose to execute the plan himself. By sending his own son into the world to live, die, and be raised so that our sin could be pardoned and we could be adopted as his sons and daughters and no longer be his enemy. Get this, not only did God say, I don't want you to be my enemy, I want you to be my children. greatest peacemaking event that has ever took place in the course of human history and that will ever take place happened on a cross where Jesus was crucified. When he substituted himself in our place so that our sin and our guilt could be put upon his shoulders so that we could have full pardon and be perfectly Reconciled with him. Friend, if you're here today and you have never placed your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, what he did in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection, what he did, he did so that you could be reconciled to God and so that you could have peace with him. And the Bible says that if you would simply trust in that, if you would place all of your hope on Him, believe in Him, that you will be pardoned, your sins will be forgiven, you'll have everlasting life, and He will be be your God, He will be your Lord, He will bring you to Himself. And cry out to Him in faith. So, when you are finding it difficult to make peace with another, when you are finding it complicated and hard and you're not desiring to pursue peace, you think it's impossible, And you need to stop and you need to think long and hard about the character of God and the peace that God established with you through the through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, for there to be horizontal peace with you and your family, your acquaintances, and your church family, for there to be horizontal peace, there there must be vertical peace. If you are not pursuing vertical peace through the means through which God has supplied through His Son, you will not have horizontal peace. Friends, let the gospel inform you. And when you find others so difficult and so complicated and so frustrating, remember just how difficult and complicated and frustrating you were. And yet how much God loved you in spite of who you were and gave his son to be sacrificed on your behalf. The motive. So how do we do this? Okay, I get it. The character of God, it's part of the gospel that saves me. I understand that that should be my motive. So help me to now understand practically how we can pursue peace. What does it look like when we pursue peace with other people? Well, there are many things involved. But but before we even get to that, we we need to not assume anything about our responsibility to pursue peace. So I don't want to assume that you think it's your responsibility to pursue peace because you may be thinking, I get it, we need to be at peace, but they need to initiate it. (laughs) Romans 12, 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace With everyone. So since we have the responsibility to pursue peace, it is our responsibility to initiate peace, period. doesn't matter who's at fault. It doesn't matter who has more of the blame to share. There's conflict between two people. It's not 100%, 0%. It's a shared, it's a shared conflict. Remember in his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy, I'm going to point out several things from that book, but even in that book, he says that you may be 2% wrong, but you are 100%, for that, 100% responsible for that 2%. This past summer, we walked through that book in our equip class, combined class, The, the Peacemaker, And in that book, he highlights the four G's of peacemaking. I want to just walk through those with you, just remind many of you of those four G's of peacemaking. And for those that you didn't go through that class or get the book, this will be helpful to you as well. As we think about pursuing peace, I think Sandy gives us very helpful advice as we seek to pursue peace with others. Number one, the first G is that we are to seek to glorify God. Don't let that just be a Christian cliché. Don't let that just be sort of your default answer that just makes everything seem good. But rather, let that be the true motive and desire of your heart that you truly want to glorify God and to see Him honored in your relationships. God's glory ought to always be our overarching desire, no matter what we're doing, and it's no less true when it comes to peacemaking. You see, often when there's trouble, when there's conflict, when there is fighting, we are tempted to focus solely on the circumstances, solely on the offense itself, and solely on the people that are involved. And those things have to be dealt with. But what we have to remember is that he's already present, so it's not like we are bringing him in, but we have to bring God into the the equation. We have to understand that, that Our desire is to glorify and honor God, and so he has to be part of the process. We need to establish a God-centered perspective of the conflict and strive to honor him in the midst of this conflict. And yet, how often we are operating from a desire to have our own way, no matter the cost. As Christians, we are called to a different, a much different approach. In fact, it's later on in the book of Colossians, Paul reminds us if you've been raised with Christ, if you have peace with God, we could say it that way, but he says if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He goes on and talks about putting to death certain sin and putting on certain attributes because the point is is that as christians we are to think differently we are to have a heavenly perspective of life including conflict a god-centered perspective so instead of wanting to have your desires satisfied it ought to ultimately be your chief desire to glorify god now hopefully As you're growing in grace, your desires are coming into alignment with God's desires, but you need to lay your desires aside. No matter what I desire, Lord, I want you glorified. That's the first G. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. When there is conflict between two parties or groups of people, there are always two contributors. And yet... We are so eager to play the blame game. You have a great example of it in the first few chapters of Genesis. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us some clear instruction on how to handle conflict. And he says, before we rush over to address the speck in our brother's eye, let's first deal with the log that is in our own eye. One of the places I see the blame game most often is in the context of marriage. I've had the opportunity to sit down with many of people, pre-marriage counseling and marital counseling, and it is inevitable within the first session that the husband is there to accuse the wife of failure and the wife blames the husband for failure. And my first job is to help them both see that they both are the problem. That's why in premarital counseling, I will ask young couples this question. I will look at them and I will say, what do you think the greatest threat to your marriage is? And I have them both answer. What's the greatest threat to your marriage? And they will give me a number of things, and I will look at them, and I will look at them individually. I'll look at the man and I'll say, you are the greatest threat to your marriage. And I'll look at the lady, and I'll look at her, and I'll say, you are the greatest threat to your marriage. Let's establish day one that we are the greatest threats to not just our marriage, but to any relationship because we are fallen sinners. We are fallen people. Whether it's in marriage or relationships at work, or whether we're trying to seek to live out biblical community as a church family, friends, we don't have time to play the blame game. If we're truly serious about pursuing peace, we will take responsibility for what we are responsible for, and we will seek to pursue peace in the way that God has outlined in His Word. Yes, there is a time to deal with the sins and failures of other people. A lot of times people quote Matthew 7, and they forget that we're to deal with the speck. They go quickly to judge not, lest you be judged. But Jesus says you got to deal with the speck, but just make sure that that log in your eyes dealt with first. Then go deal with the speck. I'm not saying dismiss the speck. You have to deal with it. There are times where we have to deal with sin in other people in other people's lives, but not before you adequately deal with your own failures. Proverbs. Chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Get the log out of your own eye. Number three, gently restore. Friends, when we're called to peacemaking, we are called to restoration, reconciliation. We are not called just to come to some kind of agreement so that we can get along. We're called to actually have a restored fellowship with another And it's a critical step in peacemaking. Assuming you're seeking to honor the Lord and assuming you've humbly dealt with your own sin, your own contribution to the issues at hand, then we have a couple of things that we can consider. Number one, he says in the book that we are to overlook minor offenses. Sometimes the process of making peace means you simply overlook an offense, certain offenses. Proverbs 19:11 says good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. There are some things that people will say or people will do with whatever intention in mind, maybe they meant to or didn't mean to that it's just not worth all of the shed blood. <laughs> you know, pastors will often talk there are certain hills you take in ministry and certain hills you just leave alone. Obviously there's a whole another conversation as to how you analyze and which hill you take and which you don't. Same is true in our relationships. Sometimes we get so offended over the least little things. Maybe, maybe someone looked at you funny. Maybe they have indigestion. And you took offense to that. Maybe they do have a hang-up with you. And, and, and You know, sometimes we, we're just over-sensitive. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe someone forgot to return your call. You're like, well, they must be mad at me. They didn't call me back. Maybe they forget a lunch meeting or forget to call you about another appointment that they had with you or something like that. Friends, every issue is not worth confronting. Sometimes there are clear wrongs intentionally done to us that we need to be prepared to overlook these minor offenses, and that does need discernment. Be careful how you apply that, but don't don't forget to apply it. Certain things need to just just move on. But when there is serious issues at hand and, and biblical responsibility that we have, we are to graciously pursue people. If you are really wanting to bring God glory and apply the gospel to your life in peacemaking, it will necessitate you pursuing others. And oftentimes, it is uncomfortable it is hard. It is difficult. It is it is not a fun process. It will take you taking the initiative to go speak to someone. And when you do, you should never go in anger. You should never go out of venge- vengeance, but always in love. There are only two, two, two errors that we need to avoid when it comes to peacemaking. Uh, one error is just in full attack mode where we're we're just... Letting somebody have it. The other is to ignore the situation altogether. Graciously pursue. And then number four, he says, to go be reconciled. Friends, listen, when it comes to peacemaking, all of us struggle with it. But we should never simply settle for compromise. It may be that we have to compromise. It may come to that. But you shouldn't settle for that. You shouldn't settle for just, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. If it has to do with truth, objective truth, there's more work to be done. Because what happens when we just settle for compromise or we agree to disagree, that turns relationships south and and those relationships just wither away. We have to learn to pursue each other in such a way where true forgiveness is extended and received. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Remember Romans 12:18. if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Friends, it is your responsibility to pursue peace and reconciliation with others. Uh, in their book, it's a new book that's just come out called The Compelling Community. Uh, Pastor Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop write this, no matter who started it, it is always your job to initiate reconciliation. I don't care who started it. It's your job to go fix it. It's your job to go be reconciled. It's your job to pursue peace. And when you have two Christians that see it as their job to pursue peace, good things are going to happen. But there are those times also when we will be called to make peace with those who aren't believers. Really, we'd spend an entire sermon on that, but just remind you out of Romans chapter 12 that we're to bless those who persecute us. We're not to repay evil for evil. We're to seek to live at peace with all people. Not avenging ourselves, but leaving it to the wrath of God. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty. Give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome by, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, we are called to be peacemakers without exception within the body of Christ. And even outside of the body of Christ, we are called to make peace with all people. The goal, number three. The goal of pursuing peace. Being at peace with one another is important because of its impact on your relationships with other people. However, pursuing peace ultimately has to do with more than just you. This is not about you it's ultimately about God's glory and reconciliation with other people too often people in pursuing peace are pursuing it for the wrong reason and for the wrong goal it goes kind of something like this I just want there to be peace so I don't have to be burdened by this conflict any longer I just want there to be peace because I want to be happy I want there to be peace so that I don't have to put all my time and energy into this anymore. who's, Who's the focus here? I want to be happy. I don't want to be burdened. I don't want to have to exert any more energy in this. I, 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 I. Friends, peacemaking is not ultimately about you. Too often I hear that in marriages. I just want to be happy. Let me just tell you on the marriage thing marriage is not ultimately about your happiness. It is about the glory of God and you sacrificing yourself for the good of the other. That's what it's about. Relationships, friendships, the same. We're to be pursuing peace, not just for our happiness. Happiness is a byproduct, but it's not ultimate. Sometimes you will be pursuing peace in situations where things aren't going to be so happy. Peace is necessary. Your happiness is not ultimate. It's important, but it's not ultimate. So two things briefly as we wrap this up as we consider pursuing peace. Number one, the goal of pursuing peace means you are seeking mutual encouragement. Romans chapter 14 later on says, verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Your pursuit of peace has just as much to do with the other person's person's sanctification, growth in grace, as it does your own. You pursuing peace has to do with with the, the building up of others. Not just having a smoothed over relationship, but it actually builds them up. It encourages them. It helps them to grow. Our unity, our peace, is a reflection of that desire to build others up in Christ. And then second, and most important, the goal of pursuing peace has everything to do with the reputation of Christ. Unity is a significant issue in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul calls us to be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Should be eager, desirous, pursuing it. Should be something we want. Just like we want that stake, just like we want whatever it is that you desire. You, you should be eager for that. Maintaining unity, our unity, our peace. Listen, is a reflection of the reputation of Christ. When you do not pursue peace with other people, you are reflecting to the watching world around you Christ's reputation. His reputation is on the line when you either pursue peace or refuse to pursue peace. I'm not saying that his reputation ultimately can change. It can't because he's holy. His character cannot change. He is immutable. He's the unchanging God. He's perfect in all of his attributes, all at one time. He can never change. However, people's perception of him, people's perception of Christ can change based upon the peace and unity present among two believers in a local congregation. So friend, consider it both your duty and joy to pursue and maintain peace with the brothers and sisters God has surrounded you with Christ's reputation rest on it Christ's reputation rest on it John Calvin put it this way he said true peace will be found nowhere but in Christ True peace will be found nowhere but in Christ. Only in Christ will you know what peace is and only in Christ will you be compelled, motivated, eager to pursue peace with others. The peace we experience in salvation will motivate us to pursue peace with others. Listen, we say it the other way. If you have no desire to pursue peace with other people, you may not have salvation. True peace will be found nowhere but in Christ. Paul concluded his second letter to the Corinthians with this exhortation. He said, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Friends, we're called to live in peace. Is there someone you need to go make peace with today? Is there someone that you're at odds with, in conflict with? Friends, if you're a Christian, that can't linger. No matter how long it's been, no matter how hard and hurt you are, it can't linger. You are called to pursue peace. It's yours to initiate. Maybe someone has been seeking peace with you and you've stubbornly refused. And by the grace of God, open your heart to reconciliation. Or maybe you're here today and you need peace with God. Maybe you're like, I don't even have peace with my maker. When Christ died for people just like you, if you would simply look to him and trust in him, you can be saved and you can have peace forever with him. Be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us of our need of peace with you. We thank you for reminding us of the fact, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, of the peace that we have with you. God, would you help our hearts to reflect that peace would our hearts in turn lead to lives that reflect that peace as we seek to initiate peace, to make peace, to be at peace with, with, with one another and with all people. Lord, we have a, a special obligation, a special responsibility towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, it's not optional that we be at peace. We ought to be pursuing that no matter how hard, how long, how difficult it may be. We need to be pursuing God. Would you help us? Father, would you forgive us where we've neglected making peace? Would you help us to pursue people with the same love that you pursued us? And out of his desire to to reflect the character that you are and have, that you would be glorified and honored. Help us to realize, Lord, that your reputation People's, people's perspective of you, people's perspective of the gospel, is at stake. Father, it may be that we're called to make peace in situations that are outside of the family of God, and that, those are can be even more challenging. But God, help us not to waver upon this call to be at peace, so far as it depends on us. God, would you move in our hearts and would you let us respond today in a way that is repentant, a way that's resolved to go and be at peace with one another. Would you move in our hearts and lead us to respond appropriately today, Father. We pray this in Christ's name.